G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we open up a discussion on the politics of fear and the rise of Islam, I mean, do you think that somehow or other terrorism comes directly from Islamic thinking? We'll be talking about these types of issues today in our conversation. Uh, Do Christians have any special types of insights into Islam that perhaps our secular friends and politicians may not have at this point? Well, you might like to be part of our conversation as we talk about the politics of fear and the rise of Islam. Our special guest taking calls today is Bernie Power. Dr. Bernie Power is a missiologist and he's part of the academic team at the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam at the Melbourne School of Theology. Now, Bernie's area of expertise is in the comparative study of Islam and Christianity. Now, he lectures on the life of Muhammad, the Quran, the Hadith, apologetics, and Christian ministry in Islamic contexts, where Bernie has lived much of his life uh, in other countries which have had majority Muslim populations. So look forward to a good conversation today and one you can participate in as our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Let's welcome our guest, Bernie Power. Welcome along to 2020. Great. Good to be with you, Neil. Uh, Bernie, this is a sometimes sensitive conversation to become involved in, and particularly if we are talking about things like the politics of fear, because in some respects, while we talk about fear, fear is related to terror, terror is connected to Islam, and therefore, somehow or other with the same brush, we can be at risk of actually including every Muslim in that whole issue of the politics of fear. Is that a fair way of discussing how we might approach today's subject? Yeah, I think one of the important things is that we need to separate uh, Islam, the system, from Muslims, the people, uh, and it's important that we don't stereo all, all Muslims as uh, terrorists because we know that's certainly not the case. But there, there certainly is a strong connection between Islam and terrorism, and, and that can't be denied. If we just uh, open your newspapers any morning, you'll see uh, often the news of a, a more recent attack that's happened uh, in the name of Islam. Well, since the September 11 events that many would say would be a trigger for what we have in this modern context of, uh, of terrorism, uh, we've obviously gone through a lot of miles uh, in those years since then as people are trying to come to grips with what's true and what's not and what, where the connections are. Uh, what do you think about, uh, about our modern thinking compared to the 1,400-odd uh, year history of, of Islam? Mm. The uh, connection between Islam and violence is, is an ancient one. It's not something that's just started happening in the last you know, 16 years or 
since 9-11. The, uh, uh, right from the very beginning, when Muhammad in uh, 632, when he moved from Mecca to Medina, took up the sword and, and started uh, a whole lot of uh, attacks on, on the neighbours and villages around, around Medina. And that uh, violence has continued throughout that. It's been a, a constant theme within uh, Islamic history. Is there a sense in which there's some skewed way that the media reports on Islam because the media tends to have its footage and its commentary that is over the past 16 years but actually doesn't uh, tend to spend a lot of time thinking about the whole 1,400-year history? Yes, I think that's right. And, and always the, the media is there trying to pick up the stories that are, are current and the stories that are uh, of interest to people that will grab people's attention because that's uh, part of the role of media. Um, but there certainly has been a, an increase at, from a Western perspective in the, the number of uh, attacks that we've seen, you know, just going through the history. So you mentioned 9-11, the London Underground, Madrid, Beslan, Boston, Paris... Brussels, San Bernardino, Orlando, Nice, just uh, these ones just in the last couple of years, uh, we're seeing a, a, an increase in the number of attacks. That's just in the Western countries, but in people living in countries that I lived in, places like Pakistan and Yemen uh, and Jordan, th- these uh, attacks are going on on an everyday kind of basis. Uh, the website Religion of Peace documents about 20, or over 29,000 fatal attacks that have taken place since 9-11, an average of about five per day. Uh, Well, that's worthy of actually stopping for a moment, isn't it, and just reflecting on that, because sometimes uh, we think of the threat of terror as to what's going on in the Middle East uh, or those attacks that have happened in France. Uh, We have attacks also on our shores. But when you start to mention a figure like that, 29,000 fatal terror attacks since 9-11, an average of five per day, uh, these are not being reported in the news because the news isn't big enough to report every one of those attacks. But it is significant uh, when you think that uh, that this violence is a part of uh, what something uh, like we're talking about with terror attacks may have its foundations in a religion or political ideology. That's It's very significant to reflect on the sheer numbers. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, yeah, in Australia it's just recently come, so we had the, the Lint Cafe uh, killings, the uh, one on Endeavour Hills that happened at the police station in Melbourne, uh, the Parramatta police station where the accountant Curtis Chang was, was killed. So we've had a couple of fatal attacks in Australia. But apart from these, there's been, there are currently over 30 Muslims in prison that have been convicted with plotting terrorist attacks. We had the... the the uh, plot to bomb the Melbourne uh, cricket ground at the grand final, the Holdsworthy Army base planned attack, that these attacks have been thwarted. And David Irvine, the former head of ASIO, claims to have disrupted hundreds of terrorist plots on Australian soil over the last couple of years. We know several hundred Australians have gone to fight for ISIS. 150 Muslims have had their passports cancelled to prevent them from travelling overseas. So there is a reality about um, uh, Islam and its connection with terrorism, even here in Australia. Bernie, these attacks by Muslim people, uh, does it necessarily mean that Islam is to blame? 
several world leaders. Uh, they've, uh, they've said that ISIS has nothing to do with Islam. How do we actually apportion blame? We tend to do this naturally. We, we obviously like to blame someone when something goes wrong. When we apportion blame, uh, who do we, do we blame? Or is this where the big, the big debate around the world is at the moment? Yeah, and I think when, when some uh, people, including uh, Barack Obama, David Cameron, even Tony Abbott, have said when we look at violence or terrorism, it's got nothing to do with Islam, or and ISIS has got nothing to do with Islam. But uh, other people, like Malcolm Turnbull, when he was in Washington uh, earlier this year, said we should not be so delicate as to say ISIL and its ilk have nothing to do with Islam. He was uh, uh, re- rejecting that kind of narrative. Because when we see what um, ISIL or ISIS itself describes, it says we're simply obeying the teaching of the of the Quran and following the example of Muhammad. They put out a, a, a magazine every two months or so called Darbik, and you can go online and you can read it. And it, it justifies every action that ISIS carries out, whether it's the enslavement of non-Muslims or the execution of homosexuals, on the basis of classical Islamic theology. So it's not just modern-day pragmatism, but they're saying these things have a basis in our texts and teachings from centuries uh, that justify the, the things that we're doing. So what do we think of those Islamic people who say that ISIS is not anything to do with Islam because somehow or other there's different views about how Islam is uh, in action in people's lives, how it's lived out in uh, the lives of ordinary Muslims, uh, when you've got this sort of uh, tension that's happening within Islam that says, uh, you know, that's ISIS, they're not, a, they're not really associated with Islam, how do we actually make sense of that? Mm. I think a really important point, that it's important that we don't stereotype all Muslims as the same or see Islam as a monolith. Uh, the, there are a, a range of views within Islam from the uh, very fundamentalist, I call it the right-wing end, which uh, says that we can use violence uh, to fulfil our objectives. You've got a a centre one, which would be the much more moderate traditional view, and then on what I call the far left, the the more liberal perspective of of Islam. So Islam operates as as a continuum. It's not just all Muslims are the same. And there is, as you mentioned, a big... Uh, discussion and debate within Islam about who defines what Islam is. Of course, each group would claim that they're the ones who are representing real Islam and they would quote certain uh, passages of the Bible or certain instances from the life of Muhammad or uh, certain uh, uh, Muslim commentators or theologians who would back up their their particular perspective. But Certainly the, the idea of this violent stream uh, is a part of the teaching of the Quran. It is a part of Muhammad's example, um, and it has had a long history within Islamic thinking. So they would say, well, we are also a legitimate expression of Islam. In fact, they would claim that they are the most uh, legitimate and faithful expression of Islam. Reflect for a moment, Bernie, if we just take a little aside here on how Aussies uh, fit with all of the things that are going on around the world. Do we have a different perspective? I mean, here we are. Uh, we we you know we claim to 
have a pluralist nation. Uh, some people have uh, championed ideas of multiculturalism in the past, this idea that Australians are tolerant and uh, that these sorts of things, in some ways, you know, we filter these through the way that we are as an Australian people. Is there an Australian way of thinking about the rise of Islam? If we talk about the politics of fear that we can look at in so many different uh, places of the world where it's being used as a weapon, uh, is there an Australian way, do you think, that we uh, ought to be filtering our understanding of what's happening with Islam? Yeah, and Australians by by nature we tend to be pretty easygoing and and reasonably accepting of of other cultures. You know, we've got uh, one quarter of our population was born overseas. Fifty percent of our population has a parent born overseas. So we're we're very much a a nation of of immigrants, and so we've created a bit of a melting pot here in Australia where lots of ideas can float in and be taken up. And, and I think as a nation we've been really quite successful uh, in, in doing that. And people would often say, well, Islam doesn't present a new problem because, you know, we've had the influxes of, you know, the Greeks and the Italians and the Yugoslavs and the Vietnamese and Chinese. So Muslims are just another stream of people coming in and in time they will uh, integrate into the society and uh, you know will continue on as before i'm uh, not so sure about that because of what we see uh, in in other places around the world where we get this radical version of islam which says we want to express ourselves we we want to see the implementation of sharia law um, and we're going to do whatever it takes in order to fulfill that for most of the muslims who come into australia about 70 percent of the muslims in australia don't practice their faith at all uh, so it's only the 30 percent who are observant in any way many muslims come here with the desire to escape from the strictures of living in an, uh, in an islamic society and they love being here in australia my next door neighbors are, are muslims um, they love being here because of the freedom that they have and they said we've left our country because they didn't give us the freedom that we wanted and uh, and so that's a, a real plus for us in australia that we've got this history of taking in people um from from other cultures and being able to work together um and and move forward into the future and bernie as australians i guess we always like the thought that we have some level of freedom of speech to be able to comment or make a critique of uh, of religions or ideologies like Islam. But when you do actually venture into making comment or bringing a critique, uh, there is a certain sense in which people can label you all sorts of names. Uh, that is a challenge, isn't it? And I suppose one that we've got to overcome. Really, yeah. And it's a real issue that often people will say, you know, we stand against uh, Islamophobia and racism uh, as though the, the two things are conflated together. But in fact, is Islam is not a race. It's a, it's a system of beliefs and it should be and it can be critiqued just like any other system like socialism or um, fascism or postmodernism or even Christianity. All ideas must be up for public scrutiny uh, and analysis. And often people will try to close down the debate by referring to someone who criticises or, or even talks about Islam as a racist or, or a bigot um, because it raises uncomfortable questions. But we, we need to uh, put all of these ideas out there on the table and have a, an open and honest discussion about them. 
Well, we are taking calls, 1-800-316-316, anticipating there could be quite a few calls through the hour. So let's uh, let's continue to uh, uh, with our conversation. Let's take some calls. Uh, let's first of all hear from John in Coburg in Victoria. It's been a while, John. Welcome along to 2020. Good morning. How are you, Neil? Very well, John. What are your Thank thoughts you. on our conversation today? Well, I think, you know how you put the dishwashing detergent in the dishwasher? I think Islam will be a great way to cleanse the West. I think the West has been very um, godless for a long time. It's moved away from its roots. And I think Islam will be the catalyst to wake up the West because, um, and I think, you know, unfortunately, the reason why Islam has grown is because Christianity in the West has de- declined. Um, people are living very, you know, uh, ungodly lives, obviously, at this moment of time, because life is easy. There's plenty of food around. There's a lot of freedoms. So people are not looking at the real issues, and they're blinded, and they will. And um, for, But anyone that has any spiritual awakening, even the, even the cat would know that Islam, certain Parts of Islam is very dangerous. Seven okay, John, uh, let's get some thoughts from Bernie Power. Uh, wake up call for the West, Bernie. Yeah, it's interesting that John's point there that right from the very beginning, when uh, Muslim nations started to, or Muslim uh, armies started to in, invade the Christian nations back in the seventh century, that that was often seen in that way that this is, was God's judgment on the church for being. Um, uh, so slack about uh, following the law of God, and uh, and they use quotes from the Old Testament. You know, just as God had used uh, the Assyrians and the Babylonians to judge the people of the people of Israel, so God was using Islam as a way to um, to judge the church, the church and the Christians who hadn't been living up to the calling that they had been been made. And uh, and I agree with uh, John too about uh, we're seeing the decline of of the Christian faith uh, in the West or in some countries in the West and um, that's created a spiritual vacuum that uh, people are saying well you know how do we see our, our spiritual needs fulfilled and Islam is stepping into that role and saying well we are the, the, the future we are the ones who are going to present an alternative spirituality that, uh, that the West can take part in. Thank you to John from Coburg in Victoria. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation, you might have a question for our guest, Bernie Power. Let's take a call from Sean in Australind in WA. Hello, Sean. Welcome along. Morning. Um, I just wanted to share as well that I thought, you know, our whole culture sort of permeates fear, um, you know, not just associated with... Um, Islam or anything like that and yeah it's, uh, another comment was the acronym of fear which is uh, false evidence appearing real okay let's get some thoughts from Bernie Power yeah okay um, so, so two things there I, I agree our, our culture does permeate fear and you know some aspects of the media want to pick up on on that issue as well but we also need to recognise that sometimes there is, there is a reality, you know, in, when summer starts coming around and people say, well, we need to prepare for the possibility of bushfires and you need to make, proportions, uh, pre- make precautions for that. There's a reality uh, about that that we need to respond to instead of just ignoring it and pretending it, it's not an issue. And I think with radical Islam, 
there is also a reality about that. Uh, the, the Islamists have said, look, we, we have a plan, we, we're going to carry it out and we want to do, we want to do that. And ISIS has named Australia in, in some of its uh, uh, publications as a place where um, a terrorist attacks should be, should be carried out. So it would be um, negligent for us to ignore that. Um, and I think we, we don't need to live in fear, but certainly there needs to be uh, an element of preparation and, and response to those kinds of issues uh, when they start raising their heads. We need to have uh, intellectual responses to radical Islam. I think we also need security responses to them as well, but not to the extent that they uh, allow us to close, our, that they cause us to close our society down or to engage in behaviour which is quite contrary to the principles and values that, that we should have as, as, a, as a culture and as a nation. Sean from Australand in WA, thanks so much for your call today. Our talkback line open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. And Bernie, just picking up on one element of what you're sharing in response to Sean, uh, the idea that uh, there needs to be a response. Uh, but sometimes, I guess, the response coming from the Christian community, and while while I would say it seems to me to be mostly fairly measured, uh, there's emotive response that comes from various sections of the community too. It's the emotive responses that can sometimes muddy the waters. Yes, I think that's it. And, and people need to, um, yeah, as you say, moderate their responses and think, well, you know, what is really going on here and what's the best way to, to, uh, to respond to it? And there's often kind of inflammatory language that, that's not helpful and, and, and that leads to uh, policies and, and responses that are totally out of proportion to the, uh, to the issues that there are at hand. So I think that's, that's important. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're talking about the politics of fear and the rise of Islam. Our special guest is Dr. Bernie Power. Bernie's area of expertise is in the comparative study of Islam and Christianity. And you can be part of our conversation. 1-800-316-316. Bernie, let's keep taking some calls. Lots of them coming through today. Alison is in Perth. Hello, Alison. Welcome along. Hi. Alison, what are your thoughts? Um... My thoughts are absolute confusion. Um, I'm seventh generation Australian. I, I tuned into your radio station and I heard, you know, that 50% of people's parents are born overseas. Um, I'm a Christian. I practice Christianity. I have three children. Um, it is a confusing world out there. The media... <clears throat> about Islam, I have Muslim neighbours who are beautiful people, will bring over food, hand things over the fence, water if our water switched off, um, very giving people and that's about all I know apart from I'm an intelligent woman, apart from what I see in the media and it's a confusing state for people to be in and that needs to be put on the table for your everyday Australian or any other person, you know. 
Uh, Alison, great comment. thoughts in that. Let's get a response from Bernie Power. Mm, yeah, yep. So, Alison, yeah, my next door neighbours are Muslim, and we would yes, happily give them the, the keys yeah. to keys to our house and go away for a month and know that they would look after it. Loveliest people. We had them around for Christmas dinner. They've been around our place. Uh, we've been around their place uh, too for meals as well. So uh, that's why I made that early comment that we need to separate um, Muslims, the people from Islam, the system. And uh, people often make the comparison, say, between uh, German people and, and the ideology of Nazism that, that grabbed a hold of that nation uh, back in the 1930s. Most Germans were good, honest, hard-working, peace-loving people, but this ideology was able to grab uh, the control of the political system and through uh, intimidation and violence, able to affect the whole nation and bring it under its, uh, bring it under its control. Communism had a similar kind of thing. Um, most Russian people weren't much interested in ruling the world, but communism said that's what we need to do. And so they found themselves uh, enslaved by the system. And people would see radical Islam as having a similar kind of thing. When we look at ISIS, for example, in the way that it, it deals, or the Taliban in Afghanistan, or Boko Haram in Nigeria, or uh, Al-Shabaab in Somalia, or Abu Sayyaf in the Philippines, um, or Hamas or Hezbollah, all of these groups are using um, the teachings of Islam and the example of Muhammad as a way of, of gaining political power and then having a, a, an inordinate uh, influence which is much greater than their numbers. And so people would say, well, that's what we need to prevent. We need to prevent the radicals from getting that much power uh, from being able to exercise influence and, and stand against them in terms of the violence that they'll perpetrate in order to gain that power. Um, yeah, so I encourage you to keep uh, loving your neighbours and, um, and relating positively to them and also take the opportunity to share Jesus with them. Uh, they're often people who've got a really deep spiritual uh, desire and, uh, and, and they want to, want to follow God and obey his laws. Um, and we get, get the opportunity to be able to share Jesus with them here in Australia that we wouldn't get in, in Muslim countries. So I encourage you to, to reach out to them actively with your faith. Alison from Perth in WA, thank you so much for your call today on 2020. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. Robin is in Mount Morgan. Hello, Robin. Welcome along. Yes, hi. I'm just loving all the comments. They're all everything that I've written down as well. Um, that last uh, lady, what she was saying, um, it's, it's all very, very simple because I've studied a lot about the Nazis as well and it's the same story. Um, in fact, the whole Bible describes the same story because really it's, it's a matter of the devil trying to deceive us away from God's freedom, God's truth, God's love. And so he starts with a, a small deception which grows and grows and grows. But once he gets a foothold and starts influencing large areas of the world, which, and it wants to continue because the devil wants to take over all of us, um, then that's when it needs to be stamped out, just with uh, the Nazis and the Islamics and all that sort of stuff. And I must add that, um, as I've studied in the Nazism era, um, the people that are most in danger are the ones in that, the, the poor um, Muslim people in the Islamic lands. I mean, most of them are deceived to some extent as well. I mean, so... So uh, most of us, all of us. Robin, really great thoughts in there. And I'll have to uh, cut you short because we're at about a minute away from news. A very quick response from Bernie Power. 
Yeah, and I think people also recognise there is a, a spiritual battle that's going on here, and, and Rob was right in, in recognising that uh, this will be one of the things that Satan will use in order to uh, cause disruption in God's earth and to distract people from the truth. And I think it's important that people recognise that truth is the response to it, that we need to get out there with the good news of the gospel, um, share that with Muslim people, with the radical uh, people, but also the nominals and the, and the traditionalists and the liberals that we find amongst Muslim people, um, because that's what ultimately will make the difference to our nation. Truth, the response to Islam. Call us on 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation. Thank you to Robin from Mount Morgan. We're back with more after the news. Dr. Bernie Power is our guest. We're talking about the politics of fear, the rise of Islam. And just before we continue to take some calls, Bernie, let me offer you some congratulations because you were a shortlisted author with your new book that's been out. Uh, your book, uh, of course, uh, called The Understanding Jesus and Muhammad. It was shortlisted for the 2016 Australian Christian Book of the Year Awards. Those awards were announced uh, last week, but uh, congratulations on being shortlisted, Bernie. Thank you. Yeah, it was good. The, uh, the book basically does a comparison between Jesus and Muhammad. It was actually written uh, with a, um, a Muslim guy in mind, and I got him to check through it and have a look at it before I before I got it published, uh, who had questions about who Jesus is, but also um, there were some gaps in his knowledge about uh, Muhammad. And uh, my doctoral area, my doctoral thesis was on uh, the, the Hadith, so I was able to put in that information in the book. So it's available through Kurong or Amazon and um, all the other places that you get books from. Uh, so keep your eye out for that one. It's called Understanding Jesus and Muhammad, a shortlisted book for the Australian Christian Book of the Year awards that were announced last week. Uh, Bernie Power is the author. He's our guest today. We're taking calls 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Robin in Cabramatta in Sydney. Hello, Robin. Welcome along. Oh, hello. Uh, Yes, look, firstly, um, I do like Muslims, right? I do. I have been very friendly with Muslims, and my heart is open to them. However, I do think that we can be very easily deceived by this, uh, you know, the Muslims are peace-loving people and they wouldn't do anything. I don't totally agree with that. I think if we had a caliphate here in Australia, in Sydney, the Muslims would just, um, unless they're called by God to be believers in Christ, they would just submit. They would truly. The family that I was involved with, they lived at the back of me and we became very friendly. We had a a gate that was, we could go on either side. But that same Muslim guy was very interested in me becoming his second wife. And and the other girl that was with me. Robin, let's hear from our guest. Bernie, what are your thoughts on what Robin's sharing? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, And and I think a lot of people do recognise that there's this potential potential threat which is you know where the, uh, the the big response in the election has come from people seeing well uh, as, as Muslims present ideas then uh, you know are, are they really presenting what they're believing what they would like to see in the, in the future um, the, uh, the there is a doctrine within Islam called taqiyya which uh, is uh, deception and Muhammad used it 
during his uh, military and political career in order to gain a bit of a foothold, and that's enshrined in the Quran and in, in Islamic theology. And um, Muslims will often draw on that as a way of um, moving their their position forward in in the societies in which they live, and even in in, in Muslim societies, it's, it's really quite widespread. The uh, it sounds like your your neighbour also uh, hadn't given up the idea of uh, polygamy, which is a a, a, a practice of Islam. Uh, Muhammad practice it. The the Quran allows it, um, and uh, people will still have that kind of view that a man can have uh, multiple wives uh, if he wants to do that. Hey, Robin from Cabramatta, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. Just to, before we take some more calls, uh, come back to what you're saying about the outcome of the election, Bernie, because uh, where we saw One Nation and uh, there are other parties that have been formed, uh, the Australian Liberty Alliance, uh, a number of parties that have what were termed to be an anti-Islamic type of a stance and uh, and that they received quite a significant vote. Uh, what are your thoughts on how the election actually brought some of those parties to the fore? Mm. In fact, it's significant that one nation actually received more votes in the election than there are Muslims in Australia. They got over half a million votes. And then you've got the other groups like the Liberty Alliance and um, and other groups which have taken a very kind of strong anti-Islam view. So there is a, a real concern out there in the uh, Australian population uh, about Islam. And I, and I think that needs to be talked about instead of just saying, oh, they're all, you know, racist bogans, which is an easy way of dismissing people that you, you don't agree with, but rather saying, well, what are the concerns there? Um, why, why do people have these concerns? And I imagine they're looking at places like uh, the UK and France and seeing uh, the impact there of um, uh, increased Muslim immigration. Just yesterday, the Australian had a, an article on the child brides in Germany of the um, over a thousand girls who've been brought over by their husbands from, from Syria and other places. Uh, and German law doesn't allow marriage for girls uh, under 18 or under 16 without a, uh, oh, sorry, um, yeah, under 18. Uh, or if she's 16, uh, then they can uh, have a court order that allows the marriage. So it's a real kind of social and uh, ethical problem that they're struggling with. Uh, so the, I think the groups like One Nation and Liberty Alliance are, are looking at those problems and saying, well, we want to prevent those from happening here, and the way that we can do that is by either limiting or stopping immigration to Australia. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Dr Bernie Power, our guest. Let's hear from Val in Mackay. Hello, Val. Welcome along. Hello. Good morning, Dr Power. Hi, how are you going, Val? Um, I see this as uh, the ongoing battle for the inheritance that began in Rebecca's womb. And the two twins were struggling, uh, Jacob and Esau, and the, the ongoing battle was for the inheritance. And the inheritance for Abraham's spiritual descendants is the earth. It's Romans 4.13 is the reference for that. But for um, the physical descendants, it's the land of Israel. And this is a battle for the inheritance. And um, the enemy is, isn't Muslims it's Islam, it's the system of Islam, and the Muslims are uh, victims of the system in a way too. And uh, so 
I see it as that ongoing battle for the inheritance, the world and the land of Israel. And when we look at Israel and we see how God is keeping them and he's keeping his promise to them that when they came back into the land, no weapons formed against them would prosper. Mm -hmm. And we can see that that is happening on a much bigger scale in the world, that um, God has promised the world to the descendants, spiritual descendants of Abraham. Val, great thoughts in there. Let's get a response from Bernie Power. Mm, okay, um, Val, yeah, thanks for that. Some people would say the, uh, the, the battle actually started earlier with the, uh, the, the conflict between um, uh, Ishmael and Isaac, so the, the sons of um, Abraham. Uh, Ishmael was the, the firstborn son, the son of the, the slave woman Hagar, and um, Isaac was born, uh, born of Sarah, the, the free wife. And the Arabs would see their descendancy as coming from uh, Ishmael. So they would say as the, older, as the older brother, then he was the one who necessarily should have received uh, the honour and, and the inheritance there. Uh, but certainly with uh, Jacob and Esau, we, we see that, that struggle as well. And um, Ishmael's descendants married into Esau's family, as well, or Esau's family married into Ishmael's uh, descendants as well. So we see this kind of confluence of the, uh, the, the, the claim for rightful ownership of the land and, um, and the use of violence as a way of, of trying to, uh, to claim that. Israel, the land of Israel is certainly a battleground, and I've, I've been there several times. I used to live next door in Jordan, and the, um, the, the fight or the focus on Israel for all of the Muslim nations is they say that this is the, the running sore, and if this one is if this one is sorted out, then all of the kind of fighting will stop. I, I don't think that's true. I think that there are bigger designs than that. But certainly Israel will constantly be under attack with groups like Hamas and, and Hezbollah. And, um, of course, uh, ISIS and al-Qaeda will want to have their play in that as well in order to take that back for Islam. And they would see that as part of their right because for, for many centuries they actually ruled over it from uh, from uh, when Muhammad died, the, Arab, uh, the Muslim armies occupied Israel, and it wasn't until 1921 that that was then uh, um, taken off them uh, in some way. So that's a, a, a real kind of issue. Your second point about Muslims being the victims as well, and I think that's very much the case, they're kind of trapped within a system. They're not allowed to leave it. So the law of apostasy um, mandates the death penalty for any uh, person who leaves Islam. So to be able to do that, they usually have to come to a country like Australia, and, and that certainly does happen. Many Muslims are leaving Islam. But within Islam, it's very difficult for them to be able to challenge it or question it, and, and certainly not to leave it. Thank you so much to Val from Mackay. 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation. And uh, before we take another call, Bernie, just this idea that seemed to come out in your response there and and uh, based on what Val was saying, what we have here is the world interpreted through the lens of religion. So you've got 
an interpretation of what's happening with Islam, an interpretation of what's happened uh, with the history of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, uh, Christians who have our own uh, embellishment in some sense because we have a New Testament on there and an understanding of what God is doing in the earth. Uh, There is a sense here, isn't there, in which uh, for secular governments, secular leaders trying to find a way in a secular sense, uh, they can't really do that without having a deeper understanding of the the religious worldviews involved. Yeah, and I think there's something that Muslims and Christians share in common, and, and that's this belief that there's a divine revelation that makes ultimate claims on their allegiance. So for us, it would be the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. For Muslims, it would be the Quran. And so we would see these ones as the ultimate authorities uh, that we need to follow and we need to see everything else by. But uh, secular people and secular governments, uh, religion is just a matter of personal choice. They would say, well, that, that's just how you choose to live your life. That's how you choose to do your devotion. But in fact, our faith for both Muslims and Christians is a, a universal, all-encompassing kind of thing. And it affects both our public and our private um, uh, actions and, and attitudes. Um, and so uh, for people from a, a secular perspective, they, they don't quite get it. Uh, but as Christians, we recognize that Islam is a missionary religion, just as Christianity is. And we want to present our faith to all of the world, just as Muslims want to present their faith to all of the world. Uh, the difference would be for us, we're not um, permitted to use violence in order to achieve that end. But within radical Islam, they would say we, we are allowed to use violence in order to achieve that. Time's running out. As we take some more calls, we'll need to be quick. Let's hear from Graham in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome along. Hello, Neil. What are your uh, thoughts, Graham? I'd just like to say that God has a controversy with the world and he's actually allowing things to happen, to war against the West and against so-called Christianity. And the Muslims are part of that attack on us. And the reality is, yes, they are children. Well, we're all created in the image of God. And uh, this is not going to go away. We're in great trouble. We need to turn to God. Scripture actually tells you in Psalms 83, if you read that, you understand anything about Scripture, you'll see that the great fight against for, for Israel to actually take the nation itself and rule over it in this world. But... Uh, All I can say is that this is not going to go away. It's going to get worse, and it's going to go right to the end where you get the king of the south pushing at the king of the north right to the end. Good thoughts, Uh, Graham. uh, Let's hear from Bernie. Bernie, your thoughts on what Graham's sharing? Yeah, yeah, thanks, Graham. That's good good insights there. Um, We we recognise that God controls the world and a firm believer in the sovereignty of God. God also gives to us responsibility to respond in appropriate ways and the way that God carries out his purposes is usually through his people here on earth. And I think that's why uh, this is a a bit of, as someone uh, mentioned before, uh, John, uh, right at the very beginning, said it's a bit of a wake-up call to us as Christians uh, to, to recognise what's, what's really happening and how we can respond to it. Uh, and, and I agree um, with Graham that it, it's not going to get better. Uh, the certain the, uh, um, the forces that are there, when we look at Islam, there's, a, there's a, not only an ideology which... Um, uh, enlivens the whole Islamic, the radical Islamic uh, 
narrative, but also there's financial resources behind there. The, um, the petrodollars are a way of uh, funding this, and there's been a, a real push in terms of the number of mosques that are being made, the uh, influence in, Islam, uh, in educational uh, university institutions in order to uh, increase the influence that, that we'll have there. So we really do have <coughs> a serious kind of struggle on our, our hands over um, how the future is going to be going to be worked out and i think as uh, christians we we recognize that ultimately god will be victorious you know jesus says i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it which doesn't mean that there won't be temporary losses in in the meantime and i was traveling in uh, north africa uh, a couple of years ago and saw the old churches that had been destroyed from the um, islamic invasions that have never recovered from that time so we've got country, whole countries without any kind of christian um presence today which in the past were the centers of uh, christian uh, intellectual and spiritual life uh, so i think yeah we need to recognize this is a, a serious struggle that we're faced with a biblical perspective on life culture and current events this is 2020 on vision christian radio Dr. Bernie Power, our guest. Bernie's expertise is in the comparative study of Islam and Christianity. We're talking about the politics of fear and the rise of Islam. Uh, Bernie, uh, perhaps time for uh, one more call. Emmanuel has been waiting patiently from Perth in WA. Hello, Emmanuel. Welcome along. Hello. How are you? Very well. Emmanuel, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm a bit worried about in Australia about the uh, pseudo-Christian um sort of uh, rise up against Islam sort of um, parties that are political and now that become real um, and also putting fear in Christians as well um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean it's I'm a, I'm a bit worried about this area in particular uh, Bernie your thoughts on what Emmanuel is sharing there? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think the um, recognition of the the fear, you know, there's there's a thing called an um, an unrealistic fear. There's uh, people uh, worried about things that don't exist or or could never come to be. But there's also a realistic kind of fear or caution that we uh, need to to take into account rather than just saying well it's it's not an issue nothing's going to happen um the um like the definition i think it was uh, sean or john who early on said um fear is false evidence appearing real um we need to sort out what are the false kinds of things in this whole um debate things that you know are not true and, and are never going to be true and are not going to happen or never likely to happen uh, against the things that are that are realities and to um, be able to respond to those ones uh, rather than just putting it all in one basket as in it's all completely true or the other basket as none of it's true. I think that there needs to be a, a kind of a nuanced response to that. Thank you to Emmanuel from Perth and time running out, Bernie. As we just draw a loose end or two together, we've been talking about the politics of fear. Is there a sense in which there is a direct connection there for the way Islam does business uh, with uh, these uh, particular radical, uh, more extremist uh, areas of Islam, that this creation of fear actually does promote uh, Islamic religion. Is there a is there a correlation you can draw there? 
Yep, certainly. And right from the early days, that was a, an approach that Muhammad used. In, uh, he, he created and he said, you know, Allah has made me victorious through terror. So the, they would intimidate communities by saying, we're going to come and attack you as they'd attacked other communities. And so people would say, uh, well, we will convert to Islam in order to prevent that kind of attack. So there was fear can breed more fear, which ultimately breeds success for the people who are propagating it. On the other side, you can also use it to create a bit of a blame game and to present yourself as a victim. So often when there's been an Islamic attack, people, Muslims will say, oh, look, we're the victims here because um, people are responding to us for something that other people have done. And again, we're, our, our separation between Muslims as people and Islam as a system uh, is really important. But can I just finish off with one point, which is that the best way to overcome fear is, is truth. And so if we do look at reality, then we can see uh, you know, what are the things that actually are and how we can respond to those. And as Christians, our truth is found in the scriptures, in, in the gospel, uh, in Jesus Christ himself. And so our, our goal is in every situation to present Christ, uh, to put him forward as the one who is the real solution to the world's problems. It's not Western capitalism and not um, uh, Islamic Sharia, but, but rather Jesus Christ himself, so that Muslims can see who he is and respond to him out of faith. Um, and that's where we'll see the big turnaround in our, in our culture and in our nation. And I wish we had more time to talk about the idea of those words of Jesus where he says to the disciples, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are all sorts of things that we could be afraid of. Uh, if anything's come out in this conversation, yes, uh, the fear of a terror is one of those issues that comes against uh, Christians and against secular societies too. But Christians uh, recognize that there are attacks coming from a whole lot of different areas and Islam perhaps uh, has one of those areas of attack against Christianity. But uh, always appreciate your thoughts. And I just want to draw attention uh, as we let you go, Bernie, to your book called Understanding Jesus and Muhammad. Uh, shortlisted for the Australian Christian Book of the Year Awards that were announced last week, but it's called Understanding Jesus and Muhammad. Uh, keep your eye out for it at your Christian bookstore. Dr. Bernie Power, a missiologist and also part of the academic team at the Arthur Jeffrey Centre for the Study of Islam at the Melbourne School of Theology, a quite unique a department within the Melbourne School of Theology which has uh, global attention on it because of the good work that comes out of there. And Bernie, uh, certainly appreciate your insights again today here on 2020. Let's do it again sometime soon. Great. Thanks very much, Neil. Good to be with you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.